Welcome to For the Love Podcast with best-selling author Jen Hatmaker. Come on in and join us for a chat with Jen and friends about all the things we love. Now, here's Jen. everybody. It's Jen. Welcome to the For the Love podcast today. Glad to have you. We are still in the series called For the Love of Moxie. And uh, we've just had some amazing conversations. If you've missed any of them, you're going to want to go back and pick them up. Just women who are in general amazing. They're slaying in their careers and in their ministries and in their relationships. And they're, they're overcoming struggle and rising back up strong. And um, it's just been really a, a healing and nourishing and fascinating series for me, so much so that I um, kept extending it. <laughs> um, today's guest is a, just a woman that I love and I respect, and I always want to be close to her in a room. Amina Brown is on today. If you don't already know Amina, I'm excited for you to listen in for the next hour. She's an author. Um, her her primary art form, she's a spoken word poet. And so she's a speaker. She's an event host because she's so funny and so lively. Her personality is so sparkly. So Amina's the author of five spoken word albums. And then she's written two nonfiction books. How to Fix a Broken Record is her newest book. It comes out in November. So it is coming up. We're going to talk about it here in a second. And then she wrote Breaking Old Rhythms a couple of years ago. So uh, Amina performs at all kinds of events. She's She does them sort of simple and intimate in coffee houses, all the way to like enormous arenas and everything in between with just poetry and humor and storytelling. She's incredibly gifted. Um, and she speaks to all kinds of audiences, high school and college students, young adults, women, um, church events. It's her, her. It's very diverse. She has a very, very wide um, audience. She facilitates all sorts of workshops and breakout sessions on just all these things that she's really, really good at, creativity, writing, artistry, relationships. Um, so I, I'm I'm so I'm thrilled for you to hear her talk today. I by the way, do not bail on this conversation early, not that you were going to, but at the very end of our podcast, Amina shares one of her own poems. She does a spoken word piece and it is well, I cried. So anyway, you're going to want to listen all the way through today because she's encouraging, she's smart, she's wise, she's funny. We're going to talk about bad dates. We're going to talk about all kinds of, of stuff. I've been on stages with Amina and every time is a thrill. Every time I'm so proud of her. I'm so proud to be her friend. I'm proud to be her sister. Um, and so if you don't already know her, you're going to be really glad that you do after this conversation. Amina so belongs in this series about women with moxie. She absolutely belongs here. So I'm thrilled to have her on the podcast today, and I hope you enjoy our chat. Good morning. Good morning, Jen. I feel like we're having coffee or tea together, sort of. I know. I love it. I was just saying to you that this is so fun for me because I feel like what's happening is we're getting an awesome catch-up phone call, and also people will listen to it. That's very so, cool. <laughs> just, everybody else will just kind of gather around us, and we don't even know. We're just going to talk about our lives, and I'm so um, I'm so glad to be on the on the call with you. I've missed you. I know I've missed you. I'm, I was very excited. 
very When's the last time we were together? Was it last year? I think it might have been last year or maybe two years ago. God, I think actually you're right. Um, Whatever it is, the answer is too long. Right. Fact. Um, But I just follow, 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 follow all along with your awesome life and... I just, you're just kind of slaying right now. It's really fun to watch. Does life feel fun to you right now? It does feel fun. It feels like slightly risky, but in a really good way. <laughs> like that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, I get that just kind of right when you're on the razor's edge of, um, it's almost like hysterical laughter. Like, <laughs> yes. no, it's fun, right? Mm-hmm. It is fun. It's just slightly terrifying. Um, I, uh, I feel like that's my, uh, that's my life mantra. Um, I think actually, maybe, I think it's the first time that we ever met at IF, maybe three years ago. No, I think we actually met before that. And I can't decide if it was, I think we first met at Echo Conference, I think. Oh my gosh. And I think you were doing a breakout session there. Well, I guess I should say, when I met you, you might didn't meet me. (laughs) You might didn't meet me at Echo Conference. But I was sitting in on your uh, breakout session and I was like, all the things she's saying, yes. And then we met in a green room at another event that I'll just leave the name out because there's such a funny story to go with it. So they won't be embarrassed. But um, (laughs) remind me, tell tell the story. We met at another event and you were speaking on the main stage with Uh another male pastor. And it was one of those times before the session where, um, you know, at like a church conference, everyone, you know, is going to pray together and particularly for the people that are speaking on the main stage, you know. And so the man who was selected to pray, he spent, I'm exaggerating, but he spent like 45 minutes praying for the other male pastor, you know, Uh and I'm kind of like. You know, I at like, come on, bro. Yeah, about like 15 minutes in, I'm like, my eyes are open now. I'm like, okay, now <laughs> somebody gonna, and then I'm like, oh, nobody's gonna pray for Jen. So I think I try to like put my hand on your shoulder, like, and bless Jen, Jesus, give Jen the stuff. I mean, can Jesus give Jen the stuff too, bruh? And anoint your daughter. Yes, please, God. <laughs> so that is like my memory of that moment that I think after the prayer, I just looked at you and was like, Jesus gonna bless you too, Jen. Jesus gonna <laughs> give you the power today. That is amazing. <laughs> that is so amazing. You know what that reminds me of? I, too, will redact the name of the place. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was speaking one time at a really large, like, traditional church um, as a guest. So I was sort of the guest in to do a Sunday morning spot. And... um this was a place where you're just not typically going to see a lot of women delivering the Sunday morning message. And so the guy who introduced me, <laughs> so, so hilarious. I mean, we're talking like thousands of people. So the guy that introduced me, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. He comes up and he's like, well, everybody, we have a real treat this morning for the ladies what? And, I mean, it's like Sunday morning, right? <laughs> For the ladies. And um, Jen Hatmaker is here. And she's just, you know, however men say about when women preach. She's just oh, going to share some, some tidbits from the heart. Mm-mm. And and he goes, and men, 
we'll all just kind of get to peek over their shoulders and no. eavesdrop no. on the conversation between the ladies. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my Lord. No. <laughs> okay. No. I see where we're at today. Mm-mm. So, um, yeah, anyway, no just we put up with some shenanigans because yes. you and I are women in a predominantly male world in a lot of t- in a lot of spaces. I'm like, dear, I mean, we have breasts and a uterus and can speak with power and God can speak to us. What a weird thing. What's so bizarre? Oh, not everybody just has to peek over the shoulders of the ladies (laughs) to get something out of it. So thanks. Thanks, guys. Please. (laughs) So, you know what? Um, I heard something Awesome. And I watched and I had so many friends sort of with you and um, you and I talked about it, too. But one thing I wanted to kick off, because you and I, we did the IF gathering together for a couple of years. And um, last year, to me, this was the crowning glory of all four years of IF Mm. culminated into one awesome thing. Because um, last year, you hosted a brunch for women of color. And you and Tasha did this together, and and some of our other friends, yeah. Bianca, yeah, um, Joe Saxton, Joe, exactly. It was like it was like the best squad ever. <laughs> best squad ever. Can you talk about that a little bit? Just even the whole arc of it, how it came to be, why it came to be, sort of what that looked like, what it felt like. Yeah, I think um, I think it was a culmination of just a conversation that a lot of women of color leaders, particularly in. Uh, evangelical space and maybe in general just in sort of Christian faith-based space have been having about the need for women of color to have a safe space. And in particular, in a lot of faith environments, uh, a lot of us as women of color are in the only club. You know, we're walking into a green room, uh, some of us into our jobs and, and different things where we are the only woman of color or person of color, period, in that space. And so for the women who wanted to attend If Gathering, we wanted to start off in that space to say, we're all in this sisterhood together. We want to have some communal space before we went into the general event. And we really didn't know how many women were going to come. Right. You know, we were really like, oh man, maybe maybe 30 women will come. Yeah, and we had. I think there were over 150 women. It's crazy. That. It's crazy, especially since Tasha tells the story of being at the very first one, looking around the room, and I, I don't want to, if she, Tasha call me if I get the number wrong, but I think she said I looked around and counted. I was one of four women of color facts. in the facts. was that what in the whole entire thing. So yeah. fast forward four years later, and to have 150 women gathered, sort of as a pre-event. I mean, it's powerful. Yeah, and I think when when we're talking about, when we're using words like diversity, I think Mm -hmm. our first thought is like, oh, well, diversity is like a bunch of crayons, and I got to make sure I have a purple one, I got to make sure I have an orange one, you know, and if Mm -hmm. I get so many colors in the rainbow on there, then I'm good to go, and really, diversity is not that easy. Um, Diversity actually takes some really hard and relational work. Uh, if we're really going to do the work of diversity, it's right. dismantling a lot of racism that's sitting even in a lot of Christian theology. So there's right. all this work to be done. And a, and a part of that is to say to women of color, uh, your voices are important, your leadership yeah. is important. And so we wanted to uh, create that space. And it really did a beautiful thing for all of us. We got in little mm. circles and, and talked and just really connected. And I think that's a huge thing uh, for people of color and just marginalized people in general to make sure you have that safe space among your people right. also. 
Oh, man. I mean, so many of my friends were there that day, and they just, their response to it was so um, kind of healing and strong. That was the high point for sure of the entire space. And I like what you said because um, the easy, uh, shallow definition of diversity simply means like presence, meaning if you just right. look out with your eyes, you're going to see some different colors. But the the deep rooted work of it is hard. Yeah. And it requires um, honesty and repentance from white people and dismantling systems. I mean, so now we're talking about, but this is the stuff. Yeah. Um, and this is where people are reticent to go because it requires so much um, unlearning. Because, mm-hmm. of course, you know, we've all been we we built our whole lives on a white narrative it's and and it was cast to us as quote normal right. you know we can so the the undoing of that and the relearning it's painful yeah. and it's it's scary it's really disorienting and so it's important work and um i love just the the compassion to create those safe spaces for women of color i think um just a place to um, honestly, grieve if you need to, yeah. lament, and and just feel not alone in it. Strong. It's yeah. really strong. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to talk about what you do specifically. So, of course, everybody who knows you already knows this. Um, you're you're so so gifted. Like so, in our world, in our sort of you know Christian conferency, a lot of church settings. Um, a lot of people haven't seen what you do, which is this spoken poetry, this beautiful, artistic, creative art form. So um, uh, some of our listeners right now might not even know exactly what it is that you do. Like, and, and you know, for there's the speakers are a dime or dozen. Like what I do, just throw a nickel and you can hit any of us. But what you do is so rare, so special, so unique. So can you can you explain what it is you do and how you got into it? Yeah. Uh, it, what I do is called spoken word poetry. Although when I started 20 years ago, Jen, that's actually 20 wow. years ago when I started yeah. performing spoken word poetry, I'm 37. I started when I was 17 years old. So, I mean, I don't even know Gosh. if I knew at the time that that's what that was called, <laughs> that yeah. it had its own genre. I mean, that was... Did you have like a mentor? Did you watch somebody? No, I I started out really, I was just a nerdy kid and I just mm-hmm. loved reading. So I just read books all over the place and really loved, I just loved books so much that I was like, whatever you have to do to have your words in this, <laughs> you know, that's what I want to do kind of thing, you know? Yeah. So I read Maya Angelou and yeah. Giovanni, Sonia Sanchez and um, Paul Robeson. I mean, I Langston Hughes, yeah. I was just reading, reading all over yeah. the place. And I started writing my own poetry when I was around 12 or 13. And I always love to tell the story about my mom because my mom was a single parent, mm-hmm. myself and my sister. And my mom explained to us very explicitly that she does not believe in privacy. Okay. She was like, just, just so everybody in this <laughs> Let me house just set you clear, straight. Uh-huh. Uh, you don't have a job. I have a job. Okay. And everything <laughs> in this house really belongs to me. Like when you go to bed, you laying in my sheets. That's amazing. You know, you, you're in my room. <laughs> eating my food, talking on my telephone. So um, if I find it, I'm reading it. Your journal. Oh my God, that's awesome. Of course, you know, I'm, this is in an era where there were no cell phones, right? So my friends and I were literally writing notes to each other. Totally. And my mom was like, yeah, she's like, and if I find a note, I'm reading it. So (laughs) 
<laughs> she did. She would be like, who's Terrence? And I'd be like, who's this <laughs> chemistry class? She'd be like, you're not in school to study that kind of chemistry. So don't let me see any more notes from Terrence. Who's Terrence? Yeah. Oh my gosh, uh-huh. she's, my, she's my patroness. <laughs> yes. She was you're love it. about it. So she found one of my notebooks and she said, I love your poetry. She's like, I really huh. think what you're writing is so beautiful, but you know, it's your mom. You're like, yeah. I tie my shoes. My mom's like, you're a genius. Totally. You're amazing. You know? Same. I was like, who trusts your opinion, mom? So as I got uh, older, I would compete in these speech competitions. I would never win. Okay. Like third place. And mostly uh-huh. like competing with other poets work, memorizing Maya Angelou and trying to got orate it. that, you know, for a competition. Okay. Get like third place. My mom would be so mad the entire way home. She's like, those judges, they don't know what they're talking about. Yes. They let that girl win because she did yes. her own poems. You do your own poems. I mean, I mean, she would rail again and again. So finally, my last year of high school, when I just started kind of getting into kind of thinking about writing more, almost what felt like monologue style poetry, which was really spoken word, okay. she took one of my poems and without mm. telling me, submitted it to a competition. Wow. If it won, I had to go there and perform okay. it in front of those people. So let's say like the, you know, award ceremonies on a Saturday. So it's like Wednesday when she comes to me like, hey, so... <laughs> turned in your poem for this competition and wow. it won Stop. and you're going there Saturday and you're going to do your poem. And my mom's not the kind of mom that you're like, no, I'm not going like, you're going to get inside. You're going to think it deep within, but you don't <laughs> say it out loud. So, you know, inside, I, I was like, Oh girl, no, I'm not doing that. That's uh-huh. a terrible idea. But outside I was like, yeah, cool. I'll be in the car. Cool. You know what I'm saying? Oh my God. <laughs> So I went and I fell in love with performing my own work, you know? You did. Yeah. Wow. And you're like 17. I'm 17 years old. Yes. And these are your words you're saying for the first time. Did it feel different on stage? It felt strange because I knew that I was young and I was performing in front of a, mostly a room of adults and mm. they were really like leaning into what I was saying. And I think that was the first time that I felt uh, afraid, you know, if there's a way to feel afraid in a good way, I think I felt afraid, like something about this isn't me. Like mm-hmm. why would, they're adults, like why would they be leaning into the things a 17 year old has to say? Like there has to yeah. be something more, more powerful, you know, a place more powerful that this comes from than just my little 17 year old story. So I think wow. that brought me some good uh, responsibility to the words that I say that day, you know? So from there, you just, you just kept your hand at it. You kept writing, um, you kept performing and finding new venues. It's, it's been really interesting to watch, watch you the last few years because, you know, the response to your work, the response to your specific art is strong. It's really positive. I mean, it's universally positive as far as I can see, um, and to me, it feels like, at least in this subculture that you and I overlap in, it feels very groundbreaking. It feels very um, original. There's there's just not, there are not, a, there's no other Aminas. And so um, I wonder if you can, because sometimes, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a certain flavor too. You know, I'm... I am who I am, and it works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. And so there have been times when I've been invited somewhere, and I walk in a room, and I just think, 
this isn't going to work. <laughs> like, right. this right. is a bad fit. This is square peg round hole. Like, yeah. I, I'm not sh- I don't know why I got invited here. And I don't, I'm not sure this is going to work. And then sometimes I'm surprised, like in the most incongruent spiritual spaces where I think that my type of teaching, my type of being, my ideology, my theology is going to just crash and burn. Mm -hmm. It flourishes and it finds a lot of life. I wonder if, do you have an experience like that where, because your, your stuff is so specific, it's so original, it's so unique that did you ever bring that into an environment where you thought it's not going to work here? It's not going to work here. Like these folks are not going to get it, but they did. Yes, yes. And I think that moment that I'm remembering was a really great turning point for me as an artist, because I think when I first started, I was in my 20s, you know, you're just, it's, you know, that's its own, like, very strange puberty. It's like a puberty that's not of your body, but of your Mm -hmm. mind and ideals, (laughs) you know, all those things, right? And so I think at that time, you know, when I was kind of hanging around other um, speakers and authors just beginning that weird green room journey, which is its own thing. Oh, <laughs> you man. go into the green room, have all those weird moments. I think as I was meeting more like speakers and stuff, I was sort of getting this vibe from people that maybe I needed to grow up from doing spoken word, that I needed to become a speaker, become a speaker. Hmm. That's Did people say that to, directly to you? I think there, I think there was like this, imp, there was like implied in some of the hmm. things that you know, some of the speakers that had been around longer than me, some of the things that they would say, like, oh, you're doing poetry. Okay, well, do you ever, you know, just speak at these things? Do you ever Uh speak and talk about those things? Some of the questions that they would ask, you know, and maybe they didn't mean a thing by it. And I Mm -hmm. just took it away. You know, it's hard to Mm -hmm. say, but I was sort of like starting to question, well, is this a real thing? You know, I don't know. So I tried that thing. I tried being the kind of speaker that like is going to turn to Luke 17 and just take you through like seven verses. And that went really badly. Uh, (laughs) Less all those people that invited me when I was doing that, but that Mm -hmm. was not going well. And so I got invited to a college after that. And I had, it was like a chapel service I was supposed to speak at, had like 25 minutes. And I was like, I can either sit here in my office, which was really my kitchen table, and try to come up with some exegesis, <laughs> you know, yeah. some yes. fantastic hermeneutics yes. about and this. Pull out the like Greek meaning of yes. at least four words. Yes. Yeah. You know, I was like, I could really try hard and be really bad at that. Or okay. maybe I can try this 25 minutes and really do what I do, you know. And so I totally. said, you know what? I'm just going to try it. You know, it's a room full of college students. I feel like they might possibly be more forgiving. You know, Mm. let me see. So I went out there and just took my poems and took my stories and did the 25 minutes. And first of all, it Mm. just felt like breathing, Jen. Like it just just didn't feel the the restrictions, like the tensions of like you're trying to be what somebody expects you to be. I was fully being, I was almost like when it finished, I realized I just spent 25 minutes being myself. And when was the mm. last time I was really my full self mm. on stage, you know? And after I did that, I said, well, I just can't fit into anybody's box or expectations. Yeah. I All I have is being myself. You know, it's one thing if you're being yourself and people are like, oh, I just don't, I just don't dig that or I don't get right. it. It's not my thing. Then it's like, okay. Okay, I go with God. Really, yeah, right. You know, I can't yeah. really try to like carve myself into something right. else, you know, but if I'm constantly at this rat race of like, what do you want me to be? Oh, let me try to be that. Oh, now you want me to be this. Dang. Let me try to be that. I mean, that's a soul killer, a creativity mm. killer. 
no one can create well that way, you know? Mm, that has so much relevance for everybody listening. I mean, just fill in the blank, you know, who you are, what you're good at, what your lane is. And when you are operating outside of that, it just, oh man, it just, it feels, it feels so, um, it's so, uh, it's so much upheaval there, so much emotional upheaval. I remember when I first started, um, well, I'm like, in, in my first instinct, I want to be a writer. So yeah. I'm kind of like you, I, I grew up loving books and words and stories. And I wanted to be inside those pages and writing is where I feel the wind at my back the most. Mm. Um, but as so much like you, when I started writing, people started wanting me to be a speaker. And I was like, do you, like, why do you think I can do that? Did somebody tell you? Do you, <laughs> right. can you, why are you asking me to speak at your thing? You don't even know that I can do that. And uh, so I remember, um, I'm so grateful that this was really before social media right? and Bless. that there's not like a hardcore record of some of those early um, recordings of me talking because they were so brutal. I, at that time, I didn't know who to look to. Mm. I, I didn't know how to. And so she's a dear friend and I actually love her with my entire being and heart, but I, who I looked to was Beth more yeah, because yeah. she was, you know, she's the, she's the queen mm-hmm. of speaking like that. So all my early talks, I essentially emulated her. Yeah. Can you even imagine how bad that was? <laughs> like, can you, can you try to imagine Jen Hatmaker trying to do Beth more? Yeah, I mean, it man. was just, life is hard. Just, <laughs> so sad. I feel like I should write handwritten apologies to every woman who had to sit through any of those talks. Right. Like, can I make can I make amends? Is there anything I can do to make up for that hour that you'll never get back? Um, so I know what you mean. I know what it it feels good when you are using the muscles that you have. Yeah. And it's just, it's almost, it's not that it's effortless because hard it's still hard work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Work is work, mm-hmm. but it feels right. Yeah. Um, I, I love that advice. I think everybody probably is walking away with like a, ah, when you just said this. Hey guys, just a quick break. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. Just want to tell you one quick little offer um, that our friends over at audible.com have for you, my listeners. So this is what Audible's offering you, a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial, just to give you the chance to check out their services. If you don't already love them, they're amazing. Um, you're going to love Audible. You can get a free audiobook just for trying it out. You can check out my books over there if you want them. I recorded them both myself. It's like me reading to you. You could listen to the last one, which is For the Love, or the latest one, which is of Mess and Moxie. And if not those, there are so many other titles available over there. Um, and you could listen to any one of them for free. So here's what you do. To download your free audiobook today, you just go to audibletrial.com backslash hatmaker. That simple. Audibletrial dot com backslash hatmaker for your free audiobook. Hope you love it. I want to talk about your new book. First of all, hear me doing this. Hey girl. What a plug. <laughs> it's coming out November, right? Yes, November 7th. I can't wait to read it. I just you plus words equals magic. So I just cannot wait to read it. So it's called How to Fix a Broken Record. Brilliant. Did you come up with that? I did actually. Yes. Yes. So good. Sometimes. And okay. I wanted to take a quick rabbit trail down publishing um, because uh, where sometimes the, the worst rub is when 
you're working in collaboration with publishers mm-hmm. and cover designers. And, you know, it's a big team effort. I find the rubber leaves the road often on title yeah. and cover art. Yep. Like both mm-hmm. of those have such potential to derail. Um, and so I, when I saw your title, I was like, oh, she came up with that. Yes. It's so good. Yes. Um, the subtitle too, thoughts on final recordings, awkward relationships and learning to be myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Completely. Just tell us about it. Tell us about your process and writing it, um, what it's about, why you wanted to write it, what you're hoping your readers walk away with all of it. I think I have, this will be my second nonfiction book. And I think a lot has happened in my life, in my soul, in between the two books. And writing books is hard. (laughs) I don't know if you would say the same thing. Like before you write a book, you're like, I'll do that. And other people see you when they know you write well or you speak well. And they're like, you should write a book. And you're like, I should write a book. And there's sort of this like dream of like what that all is going to be. Sort of totally. this combination of like how Stephen King's books sell that like this sure. will happen to that you will write whatever your version of The Shining is. Yes, whatever your super like, common. faith-based yes. version of The Shining is, you'll write that. And like <laughs> millions of people will love you totally. and will be that. And then you sit down to write your book and it sucks and you cry <laughs> and you end up gaining 25 pounds because you just eat bread the entire Girl, time, the you know, of it. everything. So the whole process it's like hard. shatters you, you know, it from does. like what you dreamed it was going to be. And I think with this book, I was really determined, Jen, not to succumb to the pressure, the mm. pressure of like, it's time to write a book. Yeah, the pressure yeah. of this is this is what you need next in your career. Like I was mm, trying to good. just not succumb to that pressure yeah. and wait until I felt like I had a thing to say. Yeah. And so I just had to go through that process and live some life. And that idea of just the first few years of my 30s, I tried to think, what's the thread here? What's mm. the thread that's been going on? And a lot of my 30s has been figuring out what are these words that keep repeating you can't be loved if you're not doing for people. Dang. They don't love you if mm. you're not serving them, helping them, even God. Mm. God thinks I you're fine. With that. God loves you, but really what God really wants is like this stuff that you're doing. And if sure. you're not doing that stuff, like God doesn't love you. Like those what are those messages? And I try to think in all areas of life, my mm. spiritual life, which obviously really goes into everything. And my marriage, um, I covered my dating life prior to getting married, which was its own. <laughs> I cannot wait. <laughs> I like, cannot wait to read time. it. And finding home. I mean, I tried to think about what are all of those areas, loving myself. What are all those mm-hmm. areas where those broken records are? So I decided, um, I think the summer before I was writing, I was reading a lot of, you know, comedic books written by women. Yeah. And I love that, you know, Me like I, I love that about your voice too, that mm. when you write, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, life is ignorant sometimes. And I just need to say <laughs> these ignorant things. Right. And I feel like in a way, some of the poetry that I had been doing in church settings was uh, so, you know, sort of very reverent, worshipful type work. Uh-huh. But it was almost like when I would have 30 minutes to do like a set of poems, people would be like, Oh Lord, she's crazy. What is she? What? <laughs> is she talking about? But that's me. Like that, you know, that like very stern, you know, moment that people were seeing, that's like 10% of how I am in my real life, you know? So I feel like this book is the most myself I have been in my work. 
And that makes me feel uh, really, really proud of it. And simultaneously, like super nervous when I recorded the audiobook for it. I, you know, I'm in the studio with uh, this gentleman who has never heard this book, has never met me. And I'm reading these words. I'm like, Amina, he's learning a lot about you that I don't think he wanted to know. And then my mind was like, girl, everybody is about to learn a lot about you. (laughs) That is what this whole book is. Maybe to be they read. didn't want to know. Yeah, you oh, know, man. so trying to sort of bring that combination um, of those words and music. I'm really, really inspired by music. And I loved that idea of thinking about, you know, what is annoying when a record is broken or when a record has a scratch on it. And mm. it just keeps repeating that same Good. noise. We all we all perk up to it to see, oh, gosh, I got to fix that. I got to step mm. over there and figure out. But in our real life, that happens all the time, you know, mm. in our souls all the time. And we don't stop and try that's to great. examine that, you know. So that's sort of where the book came from. So it is full of lists of very ignorant things. It is full of some of the hardest chapters I ever had to write. I mean, chapters mm. I wrote with a tissue box What's next it? to my laptop and just cried and typed and cried and typed, you know. Mm. Um, I'm excited for that because... Just the public you, which is typically girl on the stage doing spoken word, is so powerful, deep, meaningful, usually sobering, serious. The The full picture of Amina is hilarious, snarky, yeah. funny, wisecrack. I mean, I, I'm excited for everybody to get the, the all of you. Yeah. Um, and even your story, too, because that is... You know, there's just so much, there's a lot of power in sharing our history in a vulnerable way. Um, and there's 100 times out of 100, the, our readers will come alongside of us and say, oh my God, you know, me too, me too. Yeah. None of our stuff is unique to us. Mm-hmm. We've, we have so much shared, um, so many shared threads in our stories. I, one, one thing that you've done throughout the book, which I, I really love how you structured this. I, um, because music is such a, it's such a common first language for so many of us. And it's mm-hmm. spoken to us in different ways. It's, so you've attached songs to different eras of your life, you know? And so, you know, you talk about Beyonce's, um, Sasha Fierce is your yeah. early dating life. And I really would love to hear a story from that. Um, and you, you, Speaking of dating, by the way, you mentioned that you you read I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Bless. Bless. Bless, Bless everybody. <laughs> Girl, you did it. Like nah. you lived it. So um I would love for I would love for you to talk about that. Yeah. And and some of the other songs that have defined different eras of your life. Yeah, that I think it's interesting with this book because there's a generation of us, uh, particularly those of us who grew up sort of in church environments or a very in like Christian conservative type environments. And I kissed dating goodbye. There's like an era of us that that was, that was what we were told how we date, you know, how we do that. And so I did that for a while until I was like, Hey, if I keep kissing, dating goodbye, um, what that mean? (laughs) Like, forever. Will you tell everybody what that is just in case they don't know about that little precious book? Bless our hearts. So uh, I Kiss Dating Goodbye was a book written, I want to say this was definitely in the 90s yeah. uh, when this book uh, was yep. written, came out, it was written by a young man named Joshua Harris, who was very young when he wrote the book. And he's yeah. even spoken to this um, uh, recently, but he was very young when he wrote this book. And it was sort of this, I think it was intended to be for teenagers, uh-huh. this idea that, 
you know, it's, it's really not a time in your teenage life to focus on dating, that if you date, you should date in groups. And if you're right. dating, that you should only date to get married. And if right. you're 16, you're not ready to get married. Why are you dating? Yeah. Well, for some of us, that made us scared enough to not date. And then for some people, it was like, oh, that's what this is. I'm totally Uh dating and doing all the things I feel, you know. I'll do the opposite. Yes. Everybody had different responses to that. I was coming from a single parent home Hmm. and my mom was determined not to raise any more intentionally single parents. You know, my mom was like, listen, you know, this life is a struggle. This is hard. I'm doing it because I love you. And because this is the way my cards got dealt to me but I don't want this for you if we can help it, you know? Yep. So for me, some of those premises of like, well, just avoid men at all costs was like, uh, yeah, that yeah. seems helpful. Let's yeah. avoid men at all costs. All right. Well, then you get into college or your twenties <laughs> and you're like, so I'm supposed to date somebody in a group. Right. And then come on, Josh Harris, you're supposed to just Heck? get married. And like, everything's going to be okay. Like something about that seems strange. And then heaven help you get into your thirties or your forties and you're yeah. single. Exactly. I'm supposed to date in a group when I'm Stop grown and have it. my own place and pay rent and taxes. Come I'm supposed on. to go on a date with all of you, you know, those <laughs> things. So it was almost like once his book came out for a long time, it just felt yeah. like there wasn't a tool to be like, okay, well, I'm not 16 yeah, and I exactly. could get married, but maybe I don't want to get married. And I could go on dates, but not every person I'm going to date is going to be my spouse either. So what are all those things? And I think um, I talk about this in the book. I read uh, Dr. Henry Clouds, yeah. um, and John Townsend. They did a book, Boundaries in Dating, which was hugely helpful for me because they both got married in their 30s. And so they talked about how you know dating mm-hmm. is, a, is a breeding ground for you to be able to grow. It doesn't have to be considered this danger zone, you know, yeah, right. You can grow there spiritually, emotionally, you can learn what you want in a relationship. You can learn how to develop healthy boundaries for yourself, how to yeah. love and respect yourself while you're loving and respecting the person you're dating. And not every person sent into your life that you may fall in love with is meant to be the person you're going to be with forever. Hello. If that was the case, I'd be in a world of mess right now. <laughs> Dear. <laughs> So I like that. I like that you um, sort of move from the rigid bananas viewpoint of I kiss dating goodbye to something more healthy and reasonable and normal like Cloud and Townsend. I'm going to have them on the podcast soon, and I'm so nervous about it because I respect them so much. They've helped me, too, in so many um, areas. But I I know that uh, you were kind of on a... So at that point, you're like, I want to do this well. You know, your mom taught you right. Let's do this well. Let's date with integrity. And so, like, <laughs> you went so far to join a tall people's club <laughs> in Atlanta. I, I would love, <laughs> I just love to hear more about this. Okay, because another book, see, I have all these curiosities about Dr. Henry Cloud. So I'm like, I might, like, text you some questions yeah. and be like, ah, oh, Jim, when you're on the line, can you yes. ask him these things? 
because he very rarely talks about this book that he wrote called How to Get a Date Worth Keeping, which totally changed my life. But now he's like, you know, talking to leaders and he's, you know, he's doing all these other things. And so I just don't want to be the person that's supposed to be interviewing him about all the serious things. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool, cool, cool. Listen, can we talk real quick about some of those dating? Because that was really like good for me, you know? So I have all these things. I kind of want to like chime in on your conversation. Like, can you get me on that three-way? Sure. (laughs) Some people on the podcast are like, what's three-way? Anyway. That's right. They're young. That's because they're 24. <laughs> we'll they discuss don't know it. about that. So his book, How to Get a Date Worth Keeping, was a dating program. And as a part yeah. of that dating program, if you decided to do it, it was it was not to find a spouse. It was to get your dating life healthy. Yeah. It was to make yourself process. Why are you dating the types of people that you date? Are there some problematic things um, in the types of people that you choose to date? Those things, which totally helped me because I was always choosing the guy who was like a lot of fun and really handsome and just couldn't commit to anything. That was totally my type for a long time, which doesn't really work that great if you want to be in a committed relationship. So as a part of that, I had to meet five new guys every week. That's a part of the program. You know what? Annie Downs talked about this. This, That same book kind of has revolutionized her dating life. She mentioned the same thing. Girl, that's that's bonkers. Yo, like I was out there in the grocery store, like, (laughs) what are you doing with those apples? How you doing? I'm Amina. What's your name? So this is what sent me to like Googling things. Right. And this is how I found out about the Tall People's Club. Now, in my <laughs> mind, I was going to an event where Idris Elba was going to be there, basically. It okay. was going to oh, be like obviously. a room full of like Idris Elba. Of course. Um, George As all Clooney. dating spaces are. Uh-huh. Clearly. I'm yeah. walking into like all the model-esque sure. tall men that I've been missing every other place that I'm right. going. <laughs> but they will certainly. certainly be at Tall People's oh, Club. They will certainly be there. Yeah. I get there and basically um, the Tall People's Club at that time was like a room of what looked like your third grade teacher. <laughs> and particularly your third grade teacher that had the sweater vest, the crochet oh, sweater nuts. vest that that told you the season it was. Oh, that, no. That like in October, jack-o'-lanterns. <laughs> but in March, four-leaf clovers. Like had the bow tie that had Frosty the Snowman. No, it. it's so depressing. Yeah. So I was immediately like, wow, Idris must be working because he's <laughs> not here. Um, this is making me feel strange. And I just didn't know what to do. It was so like disappointed. <laughs> but so that was a part of it. A part of it was yeah. like, you got to be willing to like take a risk on a night being a wash just to get yeah. out there. And some of it was more about the work in you than it was, you know, yeah. all these cool guys you were going to meet. You, I did meet some really great guys that way. And yeah. I just met some scallywags, bless my heart, you yeah. know, but that was kind of the numbers game of it really. <laughs> well, and I, I kind of like it because it forces you into this space of kind of risk taking and, yeah. um, just being a little bit more assertive instead of waiting for life to happen to you, just kind of taking the bull by the horns. And there's a place for that. Like just to sort of develop that muscle in dating probably remains in other areas too. So I I kind of like the premise there, even though tall people's club was just basically like a seasonal (laughs) way to date men who love the seasons. That's so hilarious with the, you know, I was a uh, elementary teacher. And so I remember being in school and all, a lot of my peers would come. Now remember this is like early nineties or mid nineties, but they'd come to class with their 
Do you remember button covers? God, do you remember um, that? So, and the, they'd have like, uh, you know, the four leaf clover button covers <laughs> and the, the apple button covers. And I just thought it's such a bad sign. Mm-hmm. You know, it's such, this doesn't bode mm-hmm. well for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so listen, you talk about a couple things in, in your book that I like. Um, um, you're going to mention the the power of yes and the power of no. And I, I like this conversation. I think it's important. Um, and, and I'm hearing it among a lot of women that I respect and trust. So um, what you have to say about saying yes, this is what you said. Yes is not something to be given away to everybody. Yes can be treasured, valued, considered. Yes can be selective. Saying yes isn't about being a good person. Yes costs me something, and I should weigh this carefully. It's good. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? Because um, I think... As you know, so many of us are saying yes to too many things. Right. So how do you how do you suggest we draw the line between a healthy yes, um, and how can we get okay with saying no when that's the right response? I think I think in in our society it's so ingrained in a lot of us as women to feel like it's our job to say yes, mm. that we must say yes, and particularly hard when the the no is saying no to a good thing. Mm. You know, when people are asking you to do, you know, do volunteer work or they're asking you for help with things or our families, you know, we have so many responsibilities. It's not that a lot of those things are terrible things. It's not like someone is like, please melt down a Jolly Rancher and then put it in your veins. You know, it's not like someone asking you to do that. Sometimes it's people asking you to do good things or giving you what seem to be good opportunities But I think for me, it's been having to make those decisions of even when this is a good thing, Mm. is it truly helpful to me? Am I in a healthy place where I can even really give Mm. to this? Um, Why am I saying yes to it? Am I saying yes because I'm excited about it? Because it seems like a great idea because I get really passionate when I think about it? Mm. Or am I saying yes because I feel obligated? Because I feel like if I don't say yes, I'm going to be rejected. I think too, that ends up turning into this web of our relationships that get awkward because some of our relationships then begin to exist on the premise that we will say yes. Girl. And then our relationships don't have room for us to say, you know what? No, I I can't do that today. Mm. It's a, it's a discipline to practice that. It really is. And it, and it takes some work to hone it. Um, I, have you ever read the book Essentialism? No, it's a really good one. And my uh, my agent put it in my hands years ago because I uh, I think it's just I'm a I'm a pleaser. And because the work you and I do is rooted in our faith and it's it's spiritual work and it's for the kingdom. It makes the no's a little bit more fraught. They feel more complicated, like we're saying no to Jesus himself, you know, like because most of the people that ask us to do something, it's something it's in a faith setting. It's in a church setting. It's for people. It's to serve them. It's to minister to them. It makes it really tricky to say no. And so I was saying yes to everything because I felt spiritually responsible for it. Mm -hmm. And he put this book in my hands. Now, this is a much less eloquent way to say what you just said. But um, what one thing that it, it taught me it kind of had a catchphrase when you're weighing a decision, um, if I'm going to say yes or no to this. And it just, it asked a really simple question. It was basically this. If this request for you, if it's not a hell yes, then it's a no. Right. And I yes. was like, oh, dang. Because, totally. you know, 
something about that resonates in my gut. You know, you know, when we get a request that it's a hell yes, you know, like yeah. I want to do that. I'm energized by that. I'm good for that. Even like I'm a good fit for that. Um, or when it's kind of like, um, I guess, yes, um, right. I should. Yes. Um, I feel like I ought to. Yes. It's, it's just, it's not the same sort of internal instinct. And so I, that's a grid. Uh, that's a grid that I use a lot. And you know what else? I, What's your experience? Because you practice this, because um, I think it's actually liberating to think about how it actually plays out. What's your experience when you have told really great people with a super event or a wonderful cause or something lovely they've invited you into when you've said no to them? What's What's been your experience there? Well, I'll say two things. Sometimes it feels just devastating. And mm. maybe that's like an ego thing, really. Um, if I've been invited into a great opportunity and I, and I know in my soul that I need to say no to yeah. it, it just feels devastating mm. for my ego to not be a part of it, to not, it's, it's a, it becomes an issue of pride really yeah. wow. to not yeah. be able to be a part of it, to not be able to post on social media yeah. that I did the, whatever it was, you know? Yeah. Um, so that part mm. sometimes for my character, it's good for me, but it's really hard. I think on the other side. There have been times that I said no to something that it became a great opportunity for someone else. Hmm. And I try to think more That's of that, good. especially when there, when it's an opportunity, something that comes across the table. Sometimes my saying, you know what? No, that doesn't feel right to me. If I let my ego and my pride get out of the way, sometimes it didn't feel right to me because it's for somebody else that's mm. really going to thrive in that setting, that that's going to be there. Yes, yes, yes. When it was my kind of like, yeah, I guess I could. Mm, and then sometimes great. at the time I say no to it because I feel in my soul it's no. And then when the time for whatever that is, that event or that opportunity comes up, another thing in my life popped up. That's yeah. happened a couple of times where we had a critical mm. family situation happen and we had said no to some things and we happened to be home mm. to be with our family during a tough time. So I try to also, you know, trust God's rhythms of grace on that. Yes, that yes, sometimes yes. my saying no, sometimes I have a, you know, I have like a hard conversations with God and it makes me, you know, curse when I pray. Yes. Sometimes when a good thing comes along and then God's like, say no to that. I'm yeah. like, why are you asking me to say no? Like I'm, all, like, I'm always like, why are you asking me to say no? You didn't ask so-and-so to say no. You right. let so-and-so do that. You let so-and-so eat the cupcake. Let me get the cupcake too, Good. Jesus. You know, like I have that moment with him. But I'm learning to try and trust when God says that because mm -hmm. sometimes I get to the actual moment itself and realize like you couldn't see it then. Oh, man. For you, you know? Oh, that's powerful. I, thank you for unpacking that. That is, um, that is just ringing so true in my spirit. You know what else is interesting is by and large, when I have... Um, when I've said to a really great request, um, same thing, my, I just know in my gut, it's not right. And there's this sort of, um, just it, this clear inclination. This is not a good, this is not a good yes. People are really generous with it generally. You know, when I yeah. say, I love what you're doing. I think this is meaningful and I'm, I'm here for it. I love your purpose. And I think this is really going to serve people well, but at this point, um, at this point, like any, this, this yes is going to be a no to my family and a right. no to this sort of space I, I need to keep. People are so kind with it. They're like, great, mm -hmm. bravo. I, you know, I think I had this, I operated out of this mindset that if I say no, people are going to die. 
right? Right. Like the event is going to fold, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, that's Mm -hmm. just silly. Um, Instead, what I find 99 times out of a hundred is graciousness, like great, be home or, um, and, and then it opens up opportunities for other people and for ourselves. Thank you for saying that. Um, I, uh, in Moxie, the, the book that I just wrote, I wrote an essay called doldrums and I was just talking about just kind of a season. I, I don't know how else to describe it, but just in a funk. So like not a deep depression. I don't, I'm not dipping into that territory, but more just like everything just kind of feels stuck and yeah. stagnant and dark. And I just feel like I'm in a hole and I can't climb out. And uh, all my best practices, I've just kicked to the curb and I'm just, I'm, uh, I'm in unhealthy patterns and habits and I'm just blah. And so um, I sort of talked about adding good practices back in. For mm. me, they're, they're super simple. Things like cooking, um, yeah. reading, limiting screen time, eating right, date nights, praying. All, all, they're, none, of, none of it's magic, mm-hmm. um, but it's just the things that um, keep me healthy. So um, you've talked about this. You have a, you've got this idea in your book um, about body and soul. So can you, can you talk for just a minute about what that really means. You know, I think there's a lot of ink spilled right now about soul care. Yeah. Um, and I'm always looking for, for wisdom on it, things that really resonate and um, how to take care of ourselves, how to slow down rest. Um, you talk about that healing is hard. Um, I'd love to hear you speak into that. Yeah. I just uh, recently this year finally did the Enneagram because oh. I, I, you know, everybody was, I'm, I'm one of those people that when people are talking about a thing, I'm kind of like, nah, nah, nah. Girl, I haven't done and it. Then like I'm the last later, human. I'm kind of like, okay. So I took the Enneagram and basically discovered that on the Enneagram, I'm what's called a two, which in my mind, no, nowhere in any Enneagram book does it say this. I totally made this up, Jen. But basically, um, a two is like the auntie of the Enneagram. Okay. It's like the auntieogram, basically. <laughs> A two is a person that's like making collard greens for everyone okay. and brings biscuits to things Got it. and folds your clothes when they're at your house. Like okay. I'm totally that person. Uh. And I, I love that about myself because I love taking care of people. But I think in, in part, when I'm in the doldrums, like you described in your book, what that turns into is I'm doing a better job taking care of other people than I am taking care of myself. Yeah. And I can sort of use taking care of other people as a distraction to not deal with what's going on mm. in my soul, you know? So I think a part of the soul care for me is going, you know how you really just love other people? Mm. Like you would love them with the last inch of energy that you had. Mm. Do that for yourself sometimes, girl. Okay. Like, do that for yourself. Give yourself that same love, that same undivided attention that you would give to a friend, you know? So I am sort of learning still how that looks for me. Um, Cooking is a big part of that for me, which I didn't think that would, like, be a thing. But I've totally become, like, that aunt in my family that's (laughs) like, let me make this barbecue chicken for y'all. But because I enjoy it, you know, I enjoy cooking and doing that. And something about getting in there with a recipe and just, like, stirring. It's just, like having a something you can do that like the end goal of it, you get a chance to like eat something delicious. I'm like, I love that, you know? And I think for like you and I who deal so much in words and we're in our heads, we're in thoughts, we're in deep concepts. There's just something nourishing about putting our hands on a knife and chopping an onion. Just that, that sort of primal work of being in the kitchen and nourishing other people in that way. It's just something about it. It's good for my soul. 
I think too, I love that you use the word nourishing there because I think I'm also trying to focus on the nourishing relationships in my life. Mm -hmm. And I think because we're, you know, in a space where the work we do is, is in part public, it's connecting with people online, it's connecting with people at events. And that's awesome. And I love like meeting people that have connected with, with my work or that I've met at an event, but there's only a small number of people that really know me, Mm. know me, know me that I could cry and snot in front of them, you know? And I also am trying to work on investing my time with those people going on walks, particularly for me. That's like a, that's like a cadre of women really, Mm. (laughs) you know? I mean, it's obviously my husband and you know, my family too, you know, but it's, it's a cadre of women that really walk through a lot of that with me and to really not let those relationships go by the wayside. Mm. If we have to schedule in our calendars every other week, like Mm. right now, my best friend, she's a new mom. She has five month old baby. And our best time to talk is on her lunch break at her job every other week. Mm. So every other week she'll get in her car Mm. and eat her lunch and for an hour, we just jump into it. You sit in her car? She sits in her car. We're talking on the phone. Oh, I see what you're saying. You carve out that lunch hour. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And like, I'll be on the phone. We'll just, and of course you got an hour. You don't have time to be like, girl, how's the weather there? <laughs> you're like, listen, I said this thing to my husband. I shouldn't have. Totally. I probably also got mad when I, you know, like you yeah. need to just jump into it. You don't have yeah. time for the pleasantries. And so I think that's important too. That's a part of soul care is really yes. not letting the people that love us, not letting those relationships just go by the wayside. You know? mm, 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 mm. I'm like waving my hanky right here. You're just, you're saying everything that is so true in my life too. So let me ask you, just let's wrap it up here, girl. I, I could talk to you all day. I have, I, know, a, I have right? 1 million other things <laughs> to ask. We're just going to have to do another podcast. Totally. Because I got other stuff. Um, I want to ask you just a couple of questions just to wrap it up. I and mean, just kind of down and dirty, like whatever comes to you, it does not, it can be funny. It can be serious. I don't care. But, um, so, uh, you know, we, I talk a lot about, about mess and moxie. They're kind of mess often leads to moxie, but what's a messy moment you've had in your life, um, that you've sort of powered through? Uh, basically, I hate to wash dishes. Mm. <laughs> That's my least favorite thing to do in life. Okay. If hell is being forced to do something that you hate for eternity, it would probably be just me standing in front of a sink full of dishes and being forced to wash them for eternity. That would be like the absolute worst for me. So normally I'm like doing all the things except the dishes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and I'm, and I'm to the point now with our house, Jen, that like, you know, I used to be like, when people come over, it's like, man, let me hurry up. You know, uh-huh. now like the people that I really love, I just refuse to clean up for them. Great. Like when they come over, I just look them in the eyes and say, we welcome you to enter our home That's right. because we love you. That's right. This place is a mess. Love me as I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that you've been to that. I dishes. It's like, it's like the curse of Eve. I'm just going to attach it to that. <laughs> I'm just going to say somehow that was under that umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm with you on that. So um, this is a question that Barbara Brown Taylor asked, and I love it. Um, what's saving your life right now? Mm. I would say it's still music. Yeah. I what are you loving? What, I... what are you listening to right now? Right now I'm listening to three albums on shuffle. I'm listening to... Jill Scott's Light of the Sun. Ah, okay. I'm listening to uh, Solange's yeah. A Seat at the Table. Beautiful. And I'm listening to 
No Names uh, debut record. So I'm listening. I'm listening to Three Black Women on Shuffle, and it's been amazing. I'm gonna have all this linked up in this transcript, and I'm going to go listen to all of them as soon as we hang up this phone. Okay, let me ask you one last thing. I didn't prepare you for this, so sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> could you close us out? I, I would. I would love for everybody just to hear a bit of what you do, if. Would you mind just sharing a, a, a bit of your spoken word um, poetry with us just to finish the session so people can kind of really get a sense of how, how powerful and beautiful your work actually is? Yes, I would love to do that. I, I am going to share a stanza from a poem called Girlfriend's Poem. Okay. And I think it's fitting for our conversation because I it's it's a poem that I wrote for sort of the women warriors in my life, yes. you know, the women that really, that really walk through the stuff with me. So I'll try to read a stanza cause you know, all my poems are like three minutes long. <laughs> no, I, you do as much as you want. Okay, okay. Awesome. So uh, I wrote this poem trying to describe sort of what it's, uh, what it's like to uh, be friends at this stage of life when like you don't have time for all the like, how's the weather girl? What skirt did you wear? Okay. So we find our friendships in coffee shops and at lunch tables in green rooms and quiet corners of other people's parties. We skip the shallow small talk and pleasantries. We turn public places into living rooms. We bear our souls. We decide not to hide where the extra folds have made their home on our bodies. We drink wine and margaritas and chai. We tell jokes over guacamole and queso and tortilla chips. We toast to cupcakes and butter rolls because who needs champagne when we can dish over donuts Mm. because calorie counting don't count here. Your round hips are welcome Mm. here. Here, we celebrate cellulite and stomachs that never return to taut after gaining weight or birthing children or slowly losing our need to impress people who care nothing about us here. We love ourselves just like we are. We preach acceptance to each other. We say to each other, girl, love yourself the way you love me. The way you forgive me when I'm late, even though I say every time that I'm going to be on time. The way you let me cry when I'm angry. The way you let me vent when I want to be mean to the world and to myself. The way you pray for my soul to find rest when you watch me carry my stress into panic attacks and migraines. We are warriors and menders. We have watched each other become women, become mother, become wife, become single, become business owner, minister, author, student, activist, boss. And we decide not to judge. We've learned you can never know the pain another woman hides behind insecurity, too much mascara or ill-fitting outfit, until you have not only walked in her shoes, but also know her pain and wounds, how she survived her scars, that it's brave to look yourself in the eyes every day and love the woman who stares back. We take the word friend. We carry its meaning in the wrinkles of our hands. We take each other's stories and secrets to the grave with us. Amina. I'm just crying in my closet. Oh, it's so, it's so lovely. It's so perfect. I feel like you just nailed it. That was amazing. Thank you. Um, Tell everybody where they can find you. Where can they find this beautiful work? Where can they, where can they find out where you're traveling? Where can they get your stuff? All of it. Yes. I would love for anybody that's interested in uh, following all the Amina Brown things to go to aminabrown.com. That is the portal that will have uh, some photos where I actually have makeup on. And it also has a list of places I will be. I'm also on all of the internet things except Snapchat. I don't Same. post things. I, I just go there to watch DJ Khaled. 
I tried to do Snapchat for one week to connect with my teenage children, and I was like, nah, this, I can't. This is, Mm-mm. it's dumb. I don't want to see a picture of your face just looking at your no. phone. So, yeah, <laughs> it lasted all one week. Hey, thanks for being on today. Thanks, Jen. This was awesome. I think you're just, I'm so for you. I'm just, I'm cheering you on in every possible way. I can't wait for your book to come out. It'll, I mean, it's just weeks away, honestly. Um, And so just proud of you. Love you, sister. Thanks for being on today. Talk soon. Huh. I really love her. (laughs) I really love her. I love her work. I think it's so powerful. There's, um, Words, obviously, are powerful to me, but just the way Amina uses them with her special mix of gifts is so special. So, guys, um, everything that we mentioned on the podcast today, I'll have on the transcript over on my website. All the links, all the artists, her books, her everything she's got, all everything, all things Amina. I will have over on the transcript today. So if you missed it, you can find it. I hope you enjoyed her. Um, You're going to want to follow her for sure. Um, She's a real special voice in our generation. So um, what a joy to have her on today. Hey, thanks for joining us, you guys. Thanks for joining us week after week. It's so great to have you here. Um, I I love hearing back from you. This is just, um, the podcast is one of the great joys in my life right now. So um, let us know how else we can serve you. Let us know what you'd love to hear about. Um, and what's been meaningful to you because it's just a real thrill to bring it to you. So you guys have a a great week and um, join us back next week. See you soon. Thanks for joining us today on the For the Love podcast. Tune in next week when we sit down again with Jen and friends to chat about all the things we love. We love you, our listeners, so we want to be sure you subscribe to For the Love with Jen Hatmaker via iTunes or your favorite podcast provider so you don't miss a thing. And if you have a minute, please leave us a review. To become a part of Jen's online community, visit jenhatmaker.com and sign up for her newsletter. It's full of all the things you love, including free stuff. We love free stuff. Thanks for listening and see you next time on For the Love with Jen Hatmaker.